Yeah, so the creative director of Adidas slid into my DMs. Welcome back to season two of Girl Gaze Resilience Required. Let's cure your Sunday scaries with a new episode and a mimosa, but hold the OJ. Get ready for a quarantine brunch with me and a panel of refreshingly relatable and inspirationally insightful girl gazers as we chat all things fashion, career building, and adulting. Before I introduce today's guest, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, leave a five-star written review if you have not already, and make sure you're following at Girl Gaze Pod on Instagram. Girl Gazers, today you are meeting Jiwon Choi, a dope 26-year-old New York City-based fashion designer. Most of you probably already know her because she was one of 12 designers chosen from around the world to compete in Amazon's original series, Making the Cut. You know, that fashion show with the Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum. No big deal. In the past, G has also collaborated with notable brands like Adidas and has even shown her work at Fashion Week. I am so excited to have you on today. Introduce yourself and your brand. Hi guys, my name is Chi and I'm a fashion designer based in New York and my brand is about connecting different cultures around the world and just embracing the differences that we have. I love that. In today's episode, we are getting to know the girl boss behind the brand. We're chatting Adidas collabs, what it's like to be a fashion designer in New York City, how to kickstart your career after college, and of course, what it was like to be on Making the Cut. But before we get started, I always like to kick things off with a gaze of the week, which is just a thought or realization that you've thought about recently. It can be big or small. Why don't you go ahead and start? Okay, a thought I've had recently is how much I love having this free time to just sit back and be allowed to create whatever I want just for fun because I just don't, have not had time to create just for the sake of creating. I love that. What have you been doing during this time to stay inspired? I've just been just making things. Um, I have a huge box of fabric and all of these supplies that I've never gotten around to all the leftovers. So I've just been creating new things out of them. And it's my daily routine now. And it's helping me stay really inspired and keeping me from going like absolutely insane. (laughs) I know it's so important to have like a creative outlet during this time, especially being cooped up in our houses. By the way, where are you born? I'm quarantining back in Oklahoma, which is where okay. I live. So it's even more prone to go insane if I didn't have all of these. I know. <laughs> so, so are you back with your family right now? Yeah. Wow. Okay. How big is your family? Um, I just have mom and dad and a little brother. We're pretty small. Like I'm alone most of the time here. It gets quite lonely, but you know, <laughs> gives me more time to make stuff. Yeah, totally. So my gaze of the week is kind of related to everything going on in the world with the whole Black Lives Matters movement and how that's impacted the fashion industry. I'm sure you see on Instagram, a lot of brands have been called out for lack of diversity and everything. And I just feel like obviously this has been a major issue in the fashion world for years, but this whole movement has really brought this flaw in fashion to the forefront. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see which brands actually follow through with their statements that they have made. Um, And yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. And if you actually think we will see a change in fashion world. Yeah, definitely agree. I think a lot of brands are performative in this way where they just want to be included and they just want to seem like they're part of the solution. But, you know, and honestly, in the corporate and in their executive ladder, like they're not very diverse at all. And fashion is extremely, extremely racist. And I've experienced it firsthand many, many times. And I've seen it. So I'd be very, very excited if the fashion world is indeed moving towards the direction of change. But I think there are a lot of steps to get there because inclusivity is not just about including a few diverse models. It's about changing the core at its system and including people of color, like within the executive letter and giving them the voice at the table rather than telling them how to, you know, what to do. 
I totally agree with that. I feel like it all starts from having diversity behind the scenes. And then that means when there is diversity in front of the scenes, it's actually genuine and not like tokenism in a way. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. You said something interesting that I didn't plan on diving into, but I'm just curious. You said that you've experienced racism in the fashion world. I'm wondering if you could elaborate on that. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not going to name any names, but a lot of the time in the industry, a lot of the hair and makeup people, they don't know how to work with um, black skin and black hair. And that's a huge issue because, you know, we, I always use models of all colors and you should be, everyone should know how to work with black hair, black skin, and even photographers, they find it hard to work with the lighting to work with black skin because like the light reflects differently on different colors of skin and even further from that i've had i've had times where i wanted to hire certain models and people above me would just flat out refuse and not allow me to hire black models and you know just things like that wow that's super interesting and i'm sure my audience did not realize the extent to which that's like embedded within the fashion industry. Totally. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's so deeply rooted. Like we need a change. You mentioned that you're back home in Oklahoma right now. So you were born in South Korea, but you moved to Oklahoma when you were 10 years old. Can you tell us what that was like for you? Yeah. I moved here when I was 10 and honestly it was like the most culture shocking experience I've ever had. Um, I didn't know a lick of English when I moved here. Really? Um, I've never seen a non-Asian people in my life before. So it was quite a shock. Um, so I've had to learn English and try to adjust to a new life. And honestly, it was like tough growing up here because I just felt so different and so out of place. Um, and it was like, always feeling like I didn't quite belong and always feeling like no one really understood. Um, and like, I didn't experience like a lot of outright racism. It was like, like maybe once in a while, a stranger would be like, Oh, go back to where you're from. Things like that. But it was mostly like normalized racism where it was like my friends being, you know, funny and like making really normalized racial jokes. Like I, I remember I had this one friend and her dad, would always just call me Kim Lee and we would all laugh about it like little things like that and when you're so young and impressionable and all you want to do is fit in at that age it makes a huge like difference in your mind and it makes a huge um, impact in your mind so I ended up just like hating who I was and didn't want to be Korean and I just like, completely ended up rejecting it like would not speak the language, would eat food, like would go back to Korea. I was just like, no, I just want to be American, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And it just really ended up me rejecting that side of my wives. And I didn't really get to come to terms with that until I moved away from Oklahoma and started discovering like new cultures and started to really more appreciate different cultures. Yeah. First of all, I really appreciate you opening up about that. Um, that must've been really difficult, but this whole season is called resilience required and <laughs> you seem to really, really own that and have a lot of resilience. Um, I'd love to dive into what that shift looked like when you graduated. So you moved to New York city after you graduated <laughs> to attend Parsons, right? Yes, I did. I moved to New York when I was 18 to go to Parsons and I mean, New York is such a diverse place. Immediately, once I first went to New York, I was like, ah, this is where I actually belong because everyone else here is from somewhere else. And it was really the first time in my life I felt like that. Mm. And I started seeing, you know, so many different cultures in New York and especially at Parsons. And they were so, everyone was so different and everyone was so, um, resilient and everyone it was so interesting and I would just like hear different languages everywhere so I was like okay maybe you know being from somewhere else isn't so bad after all yeah totally what role did fashion play in expressing yourself um I think in the beginning like when I lived in Oklahoma fashion was sort of like a defense like coping mechanism where I was like okay I'm I kind of hate who I am, so let me dress the way that I want to be. And then it sort of evolved into 
me expressing who I was and me feeling different. So I was like, okay, well, let me take a step further and like, let me show you how, how different I am, like through style. So I think it evolved in that way. And then now it's more of connecting different parts of the world and connecting different cultures and different techniques and crafts and things like that. Yeah, I I love that. And I have a similar journey with fashion as well, because even just moving to New York City, and I'm from Long Island, so I wasn't too far away from the city, but actually moving there and living there, yeah, there's so much fashion, there's so much culture, and it's almost better to stand out than fit in, yeah, in a way. Exactly, exactly. I, yes, I love New York. Like, I will always be there, so... <laughs> I love, I just, I also love walking around and seeing everyone's fashion and even on the subway when eventually when like the subways open back up or when it's like safer to go on the subways, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to seeing again. I'd love to talk about how you were exposed to different cultures. So during your college career, walk us through, you studied abroad, right? Or you worked abroad, yeah, so my sophomore year at Parsons, no, my junior year, um, I, I moved to Paris and I stayed there for a year and a half and I studied fashion there. And during that time, I just traveled so much like on holidays and weekends. And I think within like three years, I hit like almost 40 countries. That's crazy because everything's so close in Europe. Yeah, exactly. And it was so easy. And I was like, whole new world. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go explore. And after that, I took a gap year before my thesis. And I took that year to just travel around the world also. And then after graduating, I was working in Milan for a year. So ever since then, it was just a lot of traveling and a lot of discovering new cultural techniques around the world. So Honestly, that's like my greatest passion and it's been really great. Yeah. So where do you find the most inspiration when you travel? Is it through architecture? Is it through like looking at what other people are wearing in different countries? Yeah, I mean, it is both. Like I do love architecture. I used to study it also. And I also look at a lot of street style because within different cities, like style changes so much and people don't quite realize it, but there's a different manner of like how people wear the same thing and but what interested me most in the world is like not big cities but taking things back to the traditional levels and to the cult like at its root um and just going to like really remote places where cultures have like lived the same way that they have for hundreds of years like I remember going to this place in Myanmar and it was a tribe like a hill tribe in the mountains and they've lived without electricity and like in mud huts and they literally dress the way they have for hundreds of years and it's the most beautiful thing but it's dying out because of globalization and western um, cultures influences so all of these beautiful tradition techniques and heritage are literally dying out so I just love seeing all of that and trying to bring them back into modern world where they should stay because it'd be such a pity for all these beautiful heritages just to disappear. I love that 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 has become a passion of yours. And I feel like it's kind of related to the fact when you moved to New York, you had a greater sense of self. And then when you were traveling around the world, I don't know, like, it seems like your passion for culture and uh, the love or finding that love again for your own culture and heritage is now a reflection of what your whole brand is about. Exactly. I mean, what really helped me was when I traveled and I would see cultures like that, I would fall in love with the details and the heritage and just how beautiful every, everything is just by being so different. And I was like, okay, if I love other people's cultures so much, like I should love my own. And that's how I started to really accept who I was. So I love yeah. That. That was very how did you get like reintroduced to your own heritage? I started going there more actually. Just started visiting Korea more because I used to just refuse to go and I refused to, you know, like watch Korean movies and like watch Korean shows and like K-pop and all of that. But I started immersing myself more into it. Um, I started visiting a lot and going to 
like the Buddhist temples. I used to go to them a lot when I was younger. And I think the architecture there is like really, really beautiful. And that also became a huge influence in my work. Um, yeah, I think it was just like going there and immersing myself more in the culture. Yeah, I, lo- I really, really love that. And I admire you for that as well. Before we hop into post-grad, I would love to talk about what did you do when you were working in Milan? And oh. studied in Paris. Like, what? That is insane. I always tell people that if I were to ever move out of New York, it would probably be to Paris if I got like a once-in-a-lifetime fashion opportunity. So I'm so curious what, what it was like to live there because you were there for a year and a half. Right. Um, honestly, Paris is like my favorite city in the world. Like I would move back there in a heartbeat. Do you know the language, French? Oh my God. My, my French used to be okay. Now it's <laughs> because there's, I just have had no practice, but I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Milan, I went there because after graduating, like I won this award and. Oh, what award? Wait, let's dive into this. Um, it was called a Euxigen Award by Euxigen, and so basically that allowed me to work for a company in Italy to develop my first collection in collaboration with them. So I launched my first collection with Euxigen Anteporte in Milan, and I just worked on that collection, like different projects for them for a year. And once that was launched, I just I could have stayed in Milan, but honestly, I miss New York so much. And I was showing at Fashion Week, so I just like came back. But okay, so much. You just said so many amazing things. So this is after graduating. After graduating. Yeah, yeah. So right after graduating, I got this like super exciting opportunity to develop a collection for this brand, Italy. Um, it was it was called Juan Choi times Ukes, and so I moved there to just develop the collection. And once it was over, I was like, okay, peace out. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't like Milan all that much, so that's why. Okay, so what was that like for you to develop out your first collection? It was just available on Ukes.com. Um, it was it was you know such an honor to be able to develop a collection right out of graduating college because I never expected that. And honestly, once I first started, I was just so overwhelmed and just like scared all the time. And I was really intimidated just to be in like Milan developing a collection for myself. And I was like, who even like let me do this? <laughs> and I was like so insecure all the time. So I just feel like that, that first collection I did was not my strongest just because I was like so scared all the time. Mm. But I think I've gotten way better um, at just like accepting more of my abilities and um, just being, you know, confident. Yeah. I kind of relate to that as well because when I first got my job at the New York Post, I started the first week of Fashion Week. And here I am, like little old me, still 22 years old, like right out of college. My team was very small. They were sending me to all these fashion shows and like interviewing all these designers and I'm like, who allowed me to do this? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I was like the youngest person there also. And I didn't speak a lick of Italian that I was just like, what am I doing here? It's crazy. (laughs) How did you gain your confidence back after that? Um, I think it was just like a like series of things. Um, right after that project, I showed at New York fashion week. And then after that, I did the collab with Adidas and we showed in London the fashion mm-hmm. week and it was like after all of these opportunities and after all of these like achievements I was like oh maybe I do deserve to be here maybe I do know what I'm doing so I think I started gaining a lot more confidence gradually yeah what advice would you give to girls who are lacking that confidence right now and are kind of at the beginning of their career stages Yeah, honestly, you know, what people say about faking it until you make it, I totally believe in that. And I really believe in manifestation. And I really do believe in, you know, just pretending like you're confident until you finally are, because that's what I did. I just pretended like I knew I was doing until I actually knew what I was doing. (laughs) Um, And I think it's really important to just give that energy out that you are confident, that you belong, and that you know what you're doing, because... Once you put that out into the world, like it's gonna come, 
inside you. Yeah, no, I love that. Let's dive into manifestation. What role does that play in your life and how long have you been practicing manifesting for? Oh my God, I love talking about this. Okay, so <laughs> yes. My whole life I've journaled and I've been like obsessed with making bucket lists. And honestly, so I recently found a bucket list at home um, from when I was 16 years old. No way. And wow. And it was crazy because I was like reading through them and almost everything looking back now is like checked off now. Um, at oh my God, 16 year old, you would be so proud. <laughs> I was like, wow. Um, and it was like the first thing was like move to New York, move to Paris, um, go to New York Fashion Week, go to Paris Fashion Week, go to London Fashion Week. And all of these things are just checked off and I was like, okay, I definitely manifested all of this somehow because, you know, how else would I have written this down and like just happen to have achieved these things, you know? So I think it's really important to write down of things that you really want out of life. And then, you know, just like keep, keep repeating it. It's like keep looking at it, keep reading it, keep thinking about it. And then, you know, it'll just become a part of your lifestyle and you'll make decisions that lead you to the things that you want. I love that so much. I also write down, I love that you say that it's like a bucket list, but they're yeah. almost like life goals in a way as yeah. well, because I also write down my goals that are like, obviously very, they're very large and I don't know if I will achieve them or not, but it's interesting because I do that, but I didn't make the connection that that is kind of manifesting in a way. It is, it is because you literally, if you have a goal set, then subconsciously or purposefully like you will make decisions and make moves that will lead you to what you want totally totally and i feel like once you write down these goals you can then break them down into smaller goals that can lead you down that path exactly and i think that's something that my audience really needs to ingrain in their mind because i have people reach out to me all the time that they want to start something or they want to follow their dreams or they want to pursue xyz career path but they don't know how to start and that's what kind of deters them from pushing pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone but guys G dreamed big and now she's sitting in her childhood room, found her freaking journal from 16 years old. And the fact that you crossed those, I mean, how does that feel when you read that? Honestly, when I first found it, I was like in tears. I was like, I completely forgot about this bucket list. Like, and it was like really, really specific things too. It was like one of the, one of the things on the list was like right on the boys, back of a boy's motorcycle in Paris at night. And I was like, oh my God, I checked that off. Like, what? I love that. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I love that so much. Okay. This is, this is great. I loved this point that we brought up. So uh, let's jump back to post-grad. You had this amazing opportunity to create a collection in Milan. And then you said that you showed something in New York Fashion Week. Was that your collection that you developed in Milan? No, it was a different collection. Okay, so what happened in between moving back from Milan to New York and then showing in New York Fashion Week? Um, so, I mean, I got the opportunity to show at New York Fashion Week. It was like sponsorship with the CFDA and wow. um, brand uh, Lifewater, they sponsored me to show. So immediately coming back from Milan, I had to just start sewing looks to present. And I mean, it was pretty smooth and seamless. Like I was just developing new looks to show. And then we showed at Fashion Week. And then, yeah, I mean, honestly, I just feel like opportunities come at me sometimes. And I think that's part of the manifestation. Yes. I was about to say, how did these opportunities find their way toward you? Were you reaching out to people? No. Wow. I mean, Milan, the Milan opportunity, it was like an award that I won. And the Fashion Week, it was, for New York Fashion Week, it was um, just contact with the CFDA I had. And they just remember my work from college and they just wanted me to participate. And um, the Adidas, they actually reached out to me through Instagram. Like they saw my work on Instagram and they just DM'd me. So that's crazy. And wow. Yeah. Now, when you look at your Instagram, you have a very clear aesthetic. Has it always been that way? Yeah, it has. And I think 
for anyone that is interested in starting their own brand, it's like Instagram is so, so important. I know people just think like, oh, it's Instagram, but you know, it's, it's like the biggest method we have in connecting with different parts of the world, like different editors and different magazines, different buyers. It's so, and stylists, like it's so important and it's so important to have like a really clear vision and aesthetic and message within your Instagram and within your brand. So I think that has really helped me. Yeah. I mean, that's how we connected too. I literally commented on one of your pictures. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So let's dive into the Adidas collaboration. So they slid into your DMs. Then how did, (laughs) that's insane. What did they say to you? Yeah. So the creative director of Adidas slid into my DMs and they were like, hey, love your work. Like, do you want to work together? And I was like, uh, is this a joke? Like, who are you? Um, but I was like, yes, of course. And honestly, it just moved super fast from there. They just flew me out to Germany where headquarters is and, um, immediately started working on the collection. And we flew to Shanghai to visit like the factories and see how it was being made and do fittings and all of that. And it was honestly a really quick process. And then, like that all happened in the fall and we showed in London Fashion Week in February that year or wow. the next. Wow. Yeah. So for anyone who is not familiar with this collection, it is an 11 piece collection that features lilac, navy, green and red, track suits, jumpsuits, swimsuits, crop tops, jackets, and more. And I really love this collection because it features the three like iconic stripes of Adidas, but I feel like you kind of elevated it and made it more street style. My question is, so I read a feature um, in Refining29 about you and you had mentioned that you had never designed streetwear before this collection, which I found so interesting because I feel like your aesthetic is very street style. So how did this um, collaboration push you outside of your comfort zone? Yeah, so it's really interesting because before I did the Adidas collection, my my aesthetic and my brand was a bit more um, designer and it was more, like, less wearable. I wouldn't really see people wear it down the street because it was, like, crazy stuff. Um, and that's how they teach you in fashion school. Like, they just want you to go crazy, so that's what I did. Um, and then I did the Adidas collab and I realized that to connect with people through fashion, like you have to make it wearable because you know, like people have to be able to relate to these things. So that made me really realize how important streetwear is and how embedded into society streetwear is and how much I wanted to be a part of that. And maybe not so much streetwear, but maybe more like contemporary level. Um, I just wanted to start making clothes that were more relatable and that were going to be actually wearable and functional for people because before then it was more of an art statement piece that you know was for magazines and for museums and just for photos rather than actually being functional yeah totally and it's so interesting to see your design journey where you don't need it's okay to switch up your aesthetic and have it evolve over time Yes, exactly. Yeah. How does designing with a major brand like Adidas compare to designing for yourself? What's the process like for both? Um, for designing for such a big brand, honestly, there's a lot of like legalities you have to go through. And even with like working with the three stripes was such such an issue because like the stripes have to be like certain measurement away from each other and there are some ways that you can't use it like you can't use it in like a decorative manner so we have to work with a lot of legal boundaries um there were a lot of things that i wanted to do like i wanted to turn the three stripes into like open fringes so it would like move as like the person was wearing it but we couldn't do that because that would become decorative um and and like other than that, though, it was pretty smooth and it was just so much nicer um, having this huge team working with me because normally I'm just me and like, a, you know, a handful of people and I would have to do all of like the technical stuff myself. But like I had this huge team that would like literally do everything and all I had to do was sketch. So that was amazing. Oh, that's okay, cool. So walk me through your design process with Adidas. So in Germany, I sketched the collection and 
and it was like a lot of um a lot of like reworking with the team because like when I sketch and when I first design like I go crazy and then they were like okay we have to tone this down and make it you know wearable for the market because you know we want to sell these things so it was like okay like let's tone it down who was in the room with you like who were you communicating with what on one Oh, so it was the design team, like the design director of women's wear. And then there was like the VP of Adidas and yeah, it was mostly just like the design team that was working with me, which is, they're super cool. Like I love them to death. And, um, after we water it down a bit and make it like wearable, um, we would take it to, you know, like the higher ups and they would approve and then we would send it over to the, um, the powder makers and the seamstresses and they would. Uh, make up a sample for us and then we would do fittings and and you know adjust everything we need to adjust and you know take it from there cool cool so when you presented to these higher ups what did those meetings look like did you have like a your sketches blown up to explain to them like were you standing in front of the room no it was like really chill actually oh really that's just like on my laptop and we we're just sitting on the couch like oh here's this and this and this like it was really casual and chill. oh that's awesome I'm just comparing it to what I saw making the cut with like when you when the contestants like had to show yeah. their collections to um the Amazon team because that was like really intense <laughs> oh my God. I feel like that everything that happened on that show was like the most intense thing of anything I've ever done from the industry itself like it's oh my god I bet okay wait we will get to that in a second because I do have a lot of burning questions about making the cut but I'm curious like what was the most challenging part of collaborating with Adidas um the most challenging was definitely making sure that the Adidas brand and its identity was within the collection as well as my own and it was a challenge to make sure that there was the right balance of both brands presented in the collection, which I think in the end was successful, but to get there was a process. Totally. And at the end, it was like a fusion of both your identity and Adidas's, which exactly. was amazing. Like I wish it was still available so I can buy the lilac one. <laughs> um, so what happened at London Fashion Week? Did you always know from the start that you were going to show? Yeah, um, I always knew that I was going to show in London, and I always knew that Kendall Jenner was going to be the spokesperson for the collection. And she was supposed to come to the show, but she had a interview like on Jimmy Fallon or something, so she like literally canceled like the day before. Oh gosh. And, I mean, she still like wore it and everything, but I was like mm, disappointed. But um, no, the show is incredible like the team had built this incredible pyramid in the middle of um the set and we had catering of different korean foods and we had like a bar like an open bar with like korean drinks like it was like a whole theme and yeah i mean it was really really a dream come true i love that did you participate in the planning of any of that yeah, yeah, no, I was involved in all of it, and it was really amazing because the Adidas team was really willing to work with me on all of the things that I wanted or I had uh, in my vision, and, like, the set was, like, I gave them ideas on the set, but what they actually came up with, like, with my initial ideas was just so beyond my own imagination that I was, like, blown away. I don't know if, you, if you've seen, like, photos of it, but it was, like, this giant pyramid with like different bright colors and the models were walking up and down and like doing oh, cool. it was sick. So cool. So for fashion week, I'm curious about behind the scenes because I've attended as a journalist, but have mm -hmm. never really understood or seen what goes into it. So mm -hmm. do you guys have like practice runs and everything? Okay. Walk me through that. Oh yeah. Um, honestly, like with this, with this project with Adidas, like, I mean, it was such a huge team and everyone had their roles that I, all I had to do was like show up, but, which is great. But, um, they're like a well-oiled machine. They like have their shit together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for like, um, my New York fashion week shows, um, we definitely have rehearsals because a lot of times I don't do just like staring presentations. Like we like to do performances and we like to do 
like exhibitions with something a bit more extra than just models walking. So we always have to do um, rehearsals and walkthroughs, making sure the set is the way it's supposed to be and making sure that um, the models know what to do and definitely a lot of fittings with the models just to make sure the clothes fit perfectly and just so everybody knows like who is wearing what, everything is like laid out in a very detailed plan. So nothing nothing goes missed. How big is your personal team? My personal team. So now it used to be much smaller, but now it's me and we have two business developers mm-hmm. and one pattern maker, one uh, legal, and one advisor. So yeah. Okay, cool. So you are the only like designer person on mm-hmm. the Ah, yeah. got it. So do you ever have like help or are you physically doing all the sewing and everything to get ready for shows? No. So I used to sew everything myself, but now I have a pattern maker. So I would like sketch and send it over to my pattern maker in Italy. And we have a factory there. So all the seamstresses there would make up a sample for me to see. And then we would do all the adjustments from there. When did your brand get to this point? Because now it's like you have a very legit team right now. So whereas before, when it was just you, like, how did that progress? Honestly, it's a pretty recent thing. Um, It all happened when it was after we filmed the show. It was fall of last year when I was able to bring on all of these people to help me with the brand. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So before we get into making the cut, I do have one last question about the Adidas collection. Mm -hmm. So you ended up creating two collections with them. What did you do to maintain that relationship with them to be able to get that opportunity to work with them a second time? So it was like three times. We also had a, Separate drop earlier this year in collaboration with um, also Olivia O'Blanc, which uh, is a lovely person that I went to school with. And that's so funny how everyone in the fashion world is so small. Everyone knows everyone. Literally. Crazy. You can never burn bridges. Never. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I love that because it just makes it so much easier to maintain relationships and to uh, forge new relationships. And you know how people say fashion is all about like networking and it's true, but it's, it doesn't feel like networking to me. I think we're all just friends and we all just like, like being around each other and we all like working together. And it's like, why wouldn't you want to be friends with, with someone that you work with? So, you know, I don't feel like it is, networking per se but it's just like you know just hanging with people that do the same thing as you and um I think that's what helped with the whole Adidas um collections because I generally love working with the team there and you know it wasn't like oh let's do a collection and just like never speak to each other again it was like uh, let's see like how the, the collection is like progressing like what other things are you up to you know and also Olivia also had um collection with them as well so we would like send them selfies of us all the time and be like oh my god you guys are friends like we should all do a collection together so that's how the third one came about oh I love that and I totally agree with you that networking within the fashion world at first it can seem a bit intimidating because you know I was there but at the end of the day all of us are super passionate about fashion and when you have friends who are also passionate about the same thing or have similar interests, I mean, my family, my brother, I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me, he always tells me, oh, there Taylor goes again, saying the word fashion industry. Because I can't shut up about it, apparently. Well, so having friends that you can talk freely about, because obviously we're all obsessed with fashion, mm-hmm. it just lends itself to making networking even easier. Exactly. And it's like, and it's like people with outside of the fashion industry, sometimes it's hard for them to understand and like to know why we're so in love with it. So it's great to have like a group of friends who are in the industry and who just get it. Totally. Totally. So let's talk about making the cut. 
First of all, how did this happen? I'm so curious. So honestly, I would never, ever in my life have said yes to reality TV because I'm just like not the person, not the type of person to like be open in front of strangers, like let alone 15 cameras like in my face. Like that's not who I am. And I actually had Netflix reach out to me to do their um their fashion reality TV show and I was like no like I didn't want to do it because I was just like scared of the cameras and of me being portrayed like for the world to see I was not comfortable with that mm-hmm. and then I had like a few months later I had Amazon reach out to me also um wanting me to participate and I was like okay this is weird like within a few months two platforms of reality TV has reached out to me um and I was like, okay, if I say no for the second time, that's like really wasting an opportunity that came to me twice. So I was like, okay, like I'll do it. And then they flew me out to LA and had me um, basically talk to all the producers and the casting directors and we filmed so much stuff. And then I think maybe two days of that and they were like, okay, like we want to bring you on. And it was just really, really quick. I think I was like the last one casted. Oh, wow. Did you feel nervous when you walked into those meetings? Yeah, it was super nerve wracking because I'm used to business meetings, but with those kind of meetings, like they want to know who you are. So they were asking me like very personal questions of like what me and like why I'm doing fashion, like all of these really personal things that you normally wouldn't get asked in like a business meeting. So I was just like, what is this? Like, it feels like a therapy session a bit. (laughs) That's so funny. No, I know, but I feel like they wanted to get people on who could be vulnerable in front of the camera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so that's amazing. So now you're in the show. What was your first reaction when you got casted? I had, I like nothing... I was expecting, um, I didn't know it was going to be a million dollars that we were supposed to be, um, fighting for. That was insane because a lot of the shows, like the competition shows, the prize money is much, much lower. It's like normally like a hundred thousand. Yeah. And, and I knew that Heidi and Tim were going to be part of it, but I didn't know of any other judges. So wow. that was you know that you were insane. Did you know um, you were going to be traveling that much? No, and we also didn't know where we were going to be filming. Um, I thought it was going to be like Project Runway where we're going to be in a studio like in New York, like in Brooklyn. But they told us first day that we're going to Paris the next day and it was like crazy. Um, Yeah, I didn't expect that at all. But, you know, lovely surprise because I definitely would have preferred to travel rather than film in like a studio, the same (laughs) studio the whole time. Totally, totally. What was that like for you to go back to Paris because you have such an emotional connection there based on your history. And for those of you who maybe haven't watched Making the Cut yet, your very first challenge, you had to design two looks that then walked down a runway that overlooked the sparkling Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Like, I saw everyone cry. I almost started to cry myself <laughs> from my couch. <laughs> what was that like for you? We were, we were all in tears. Honestly, I it's so crazy because when I lived in Paris, I never would have imagined that I would be showing in front of the Eiffel Tower. Like, who even imagined something like that? And just to see it, I was also in tears. Like, I think all of us were just crying because it, it was so surreal. Like, it was such a huge set. Like, hundreds of people were involved on set every day. Wow. It was, like, 15 cameras, like, in our faces at all times. And we were just being gripped with all of these strangers. Like, we didn't know any of these designers. And we were taken to a new city. We were all jet-lagged. And it was just such a surreal out-of-body experience that I just didn't even know if I was, like, dreaming, if, there was a, if this was, like, reality. Like, it was... It was really surreal. Yeah, that's that's so insane. First of all, congratulations, because that is a huge milestone to show oh. at that location. Um, you mentioned that you have like 15 cameras on you at once. What goes on behind the scenes of a reality show? It's definitely so much more than you see. Like, I will never look at reality TV the same way ever again, because... It takes so long for us to film one episode. Like, I think one episode is at least three days of wow. filming. 
So there's so much content that just doesn't make it into the final um, footage or final cut. And there's just like a lot more that goes on, a lot more sewing that goes on that they can't show. And honestly, it was just a lot, a lot of grueling work, a lot of filming hours. I think we were filming from like 5 a.m. until like 2 a.m. And it was filming five days a week with one day off every week. It was it was exhausting. Like we were all so exhausted. How and in the show that it shows that we mostly have the seamstresses helping, but like it was mostly us sewing. Like we sewed most of that. So I mean it was it was a lot of work. That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't know that because when I was watching it from a viewer's perspective, I was a little confused because usually on Project Runway and even on the other Netflix show, it shows the contestants mainly doing like all of the sewing. Um, so that's interesting that that did not make it onto the show. Yeah, I think they wanted to be more about the design process rather than the sewing process, but we did sew most of it and totally. it lots, a lot of it. So how did you push through to keep yourself motivated and productive, even though all of these days were so tiring? Honestly, I, I am one of the youngest people on the show, um, out of the designers. And I'm honestly like really used to doing that just from thesis year because in fashion school, during thesis year, you have to develop a collection and most of the time you're sewing everything on your own. And I haven't graduated that long ago and I'm really used to sewing like through the nights, all day and night, like 18 hours straight. So it was like being back in school. <laughs> That's so great. So what happens when the cameras go away? When the cameras go away, we we don't have a lot of free time. So when the cameras go away, it's probably like 2 a.m. So we oh, don't God. have extra time to uh, like go see the city or things like that. So we would, go, we would be back at the hotel. And this is something I didn't know about reality TV, but like we're, we were not allowed to leave the hotel. Like they would take away our hotel keys and we were literally like locked in the hotel, like not allowed to go outside because they were like, it's for your safety. But we couldn't go anywhere. Did you have so, your phone? Um, no, not in the beginning. Like later on, they gave us our electronics. But normally in reality shows, like you don't even have your phone. So you just go to sleep. But um, once in a while, like we would meet up at the hotel bars if it was open. Um, and, you know, just like chill in each other's rooms and try to like sneak people in because like I have friends in Paris and I was like, I want to see you guys. So like I'm literally locked in this hotel room. So I would like try to sneak people in. I got caught once because the concierge was like, the Americans told us you guys were not allowed to see anyone. Like it was, it was like prison, honestly. Wow, that's like super intense. I didn't yeah. realize that. What was it like when you were facing the judges? Facing the judges was really nerve wracking. Like, oh God, I have not been so intimidated in so long. Because like Naomi, Corinne, um, Kiara, like these are people that I've seen so for so long, so many times through a screen. And I grew up with Naomi's face, like Corinne's face. And it's like, suddenly they're in front of me, like wanting me to speak. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like in sweating buckets. I was so scared. And especially when, if it was a casual conversation, that'd be different. But it's me like presenting my work for you to judge in front of the world. So it was times a hundred. And you didn't even know if they were going to like your work, if they were going to hate it. And they're very, like, dramatic like that because it's reality to me, of course. So it's, like, so slow and so, like, there's so much momentum and buildup. And you're just standing there like, what do you think? Like, <laughs> it was so nerve-wracking. Um, but they're all very, very lovely people, super sweet. Um, they just want wanted the best for us. And I yeah. just love them a lot, yeah. Totally. So when you were presenting your designs to the panel of crazy, amazing judges, did you practice what you were going to say or did you not even like have that time to practice? We didn't have time to practice, but as we knew that we were going to have to present, 
I mean, we didn't know if we were going to because they only pick like a certain people to present, but you know, you just assume that you're going to present. And we just like practiced in our heads as we were sewing, as we were like waiting, because also in reality TV, there's like so much time just waiting, um, just for the set to be set up, like just for all the cameramen and like the directors to set their things up. So a lot of times we were just waiting for hours, like outside of the set, just waiting for them. Oh, that's so interesting. And then you were, you were saying before how it seemed like everything was moving in slow motion when everyone was presenting their designs to the judges. Was there like a director behind the scenes saying, okay, now we need like a close-up of Naomi's face saying like this. Oh, it was like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a director. There's like an assistant director. It's a huge set. Like there's so many people working on it. Um there's like a person or several people who was just like watching all of us like behind the scenes like through the cameras like literally every single thing we do and if you feel if you look like for a second you're about to have a breakdown they're like on their little mice being like geez let's have a, make, have a meltdown like go film her now and then like cameras will like swarm me oh my god yes like that i forget what her name was but there was one blonde girl who like had a breakdown and then oh. she like ended up leaving the workroom that you guys were in and like of course all of the cameras were following you of course of course oh and then gosh. after class, learn if you have a, if you're about to have a breakdown i just like poke your face like keep it you know mm. oh my gosh yeah what um what was it like for you to rewatch the series especially those vulnerable parts it was really hard to watch it honestly um I watched it once and I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again just because, just because like, I don't know, it's bizarre to see yourself and it's bizarre to have, to live through an experience and to have memories of that and to like experience it and like know it as you did and to watch it from like an outsider's perspective. Yeah. It gets super bizarre, but it really did help me. Um, I think work through a lot of my design process because I think within the show, I'm mostly about like, two cultures like Korean and American of myself and that really helped me realize and move forward like the fact that I want to include like other cultures within my brand not just my own and just to bring on more different people and um, different heritages outside of myself because I was like okay I look really self-absorbed like this is all about me you like, so did not Okay, we are our own biggest critics. I think that you handled yourself very, very well, or else I would not have wanted you to come on the podcast. So please know that you did an awesome job. But I would have been really freaked out to see myself as well. Like, I don't even know if I would have been able to watch myself. Even sometimes when I listen back to my podcast, I'm like, oh my God, my voice sounds so crazy yeah. right now. <laughs> me too. Oh, I got it. I watched like the even like video clips of myself my friends took. I'm just like, okay, here's a whole show. That's insane. So I'm curious, what was it like to work with Tim Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum? Tim is like the sweetest. sweetest. I feel like he's an angel. He is a literal angel. I love this man, and he. There were moments, like, while we were filming, he was genuinely, like, crying just because he was so proud and happy to be there. I'm just like, Tim, I just want to give you a hug. He cares. He really so, cares a lot. He cares so much, and all he wants is for us to do a great job, and he really tries to help so much. Like, I love, love him so much. And Heidi's also really great. I, it's just so bizarre because I remember growing up watching Project Runway, seeing him and Heidi on my TV, and here I was, like, in front of them. It's just really crazy. That's that's so insane. It's like, are you real? Like, this is yeah. happening? <laughs> Do you have one moment or memory with Tim Gunn that has stuck with you since the show? I mean, I think it was probably... Just probably when he was like crying while we were filming, just because I didn't expect it. And we, it was like a time where we didn't really know each other. And I was like, oh my God, you actually care? Like, I didn't realize it, you know, it wasn't just a show. Like, he is really invested in this project and in the show. Mm -hmm. Have you kept in touch with anyone since the show, including Tim or any of the other designers? Oh, yeah. We're all really good friends. Like, I see them all the time, the ones that live in New York. Um, I think this show was, like, 
very different from like other competition shows where it's really catty and filled drama, but we're all super close and we really generally love each other. So we're all good friends. Oh, I love, I love to hear that. I really, really do. Did you really connect with one of the designers more so than the others? Um, definitely I did connect with some people more than the others. I think the closest ones that I have connections with is, um, Renat. I see her very often in New York. Like we, we saw the show, uh, when it aired together, like during quarantine at her place and Sander and Jasmine and Will. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, and Kabato. Oh my God. I love him. (laughs) So... Going back to the judges and everything, when you received negative feedback, did that affect your confidence at all? Yeah, honestly, it did. Um, I didn't really get negative feedback until towards the end. And and it was like a time where I knew I wasn't doing strong work, so I knew it was coming. But just to hear it from them again, it was, yeah, it did kind of shatter my confidence a bit but you know as designers like we're used to critique all the time like we get it all the time in the industry so I mean it did affect me but not as much as it probably have affected like maybe other people yeah how did you build up that thick skin over time I think it's just practice and just experiencing it so many times because even in school, even from freshman year, we do critiques every every project. And basically we present our work and we go around the circle and everyone tells um, that person very honestly what they think about their work. And it's very like, very, um, very critical. And, 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 you know, you just learn that it's nothing personal. It's just, them telling you what they think so that you can take that critique and improve upon it so honestly you just have to you just have to realize that nothing is personal and it's just you know opinions and yeah they just you learn from your past work so you know you can always move forward so yeah and going off of all of those critiques and the constructive criticism what was the biggest lesson or takeaway from the show for you Um, the biggest takeaway for me was that I knew that in the beginning I was getting a lot more praise like toward than towards the end and in the beginning was when I was doing work that I actually really loved and from there I was doing more and more work that I didn't love as much but was more commercial and more wearable and more like Amazon and that was when I was starting to suffer and not really like my work as much. So now I just know to, you know, stay more true to myself and to create things that I have, that I personally like, not what I think other people want to see from me. Yeah. That's super interesting. And I think that's a great reflection actually. So since the show, have you seen growth on your personal platform? Oh Yeah. For sure. Um, I think, oh my gosh, so many people have reached out to me um, just saying that they connect with my story. Um, Mm. And a lot of people have reached out to me who feel the same way about growing up in the U.S. And I'm just really, really touched because they would tell me how much my story has helped them and how much that they want to like embrace their own culture now. And it's just like the sweetest thing. And I'm just super happy to like, been given the platform to even like speak about it because you know even if one person relates like that's great for me yeah did you expect to have that resonate with so many people no I didn't but I knew so many people do go Mm -hmm. through the same thing um in this country because like I have friends all the time like we talk about the same things and um I know people go through it but people don't really talk about it so so I was happy to hear um, firsthand how much it has helped them to actually hear about other people who go through the same thing. Mm. That's amazing. That's so touching as well. Um, have you done anything to maintain your relationship with Amazon? Um, yeah, we, we are currently creating masks for sale and then a portion of that will go into a donation and I think Naomi's charity is also promoting it 
So it's just like a ongoing partnership. Yeah. That's, that's really, really great. Is there anything else that we haven't touched upon post-show that you'd like to talk about? Post-show, I think it's just me taking in all of these responses from different people and seeing how I could apply all the feedback and critiques mm-hmm. I've gotten and how to apply it within my own brand and start doing work that's not like collabs or like shows, but just my own collection. So we're working on that right now. Oh, cool. Cool. So when should we expect this collection from you? So we're working on the collection to show at Milan Fashion Week um, mm-hmm. in September. I don't know if, if Fashion Week is still happening, That's but we're we'll going to show the collection somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you guys actually, that brings me to a whole other point. Have you guys spoken about alternatives to showing your collection if it can't be in real life? Yeah, definitely. There are digital showrooms and digital platforms. I think a lot of brands have been showing their work digitally already. And I think, I mean, it's a more sustainable option in the first place. Like fashion weeks and shows aren't so um, needed these days anymore. Like even before the pandemic, people were questioning if fashion week was even necessary. And it's not. It's just for marketing purposes. and It's for, you know, keeping the glamour alive. But you know, it's not really necessary. Yeah. So do you think that fashion week is kind of going to die in a sense, or, you know, we're going to see this major shift to just digital? I think we definitely are going to see a shift to digital. Um, I hope it doesn't die completely because I really do love the glamour side of it. Honestly, like I never feel the way that I feel when I'm like backstage just before the models are about to go out into the runway and that moment when they all come back and everyone's like clapping and we're all so happy that it's done and it was like good. Like that feeling, it's just so irreplaceable. And for me to like never have that experience again, like I would be really sad, but, but you know, for, you know, environmental purposes for, you know, like not wasting resources and, you know, having unnecessary shows. Like I think a move to digital is definitely what we do need. I just hope not all the way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's going to be so interesting just to see how the industry evolves. But I agree with you that I hope not all of the shows go away because I only experienced two faction weeks and my first one was like literally the best week of my entire life. (laughs) So I would love to recreate that. There's something magical about Fashion Week oh and my God. like the energy that goes into it and the energies that's created during shows. It's just so magical. Like I love, I love it so much. My first show that I went to, I got to sit front row. Chills, almost like teary eyed. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. first show, I was like, oh my God, like <laughs> wall of cameras, like clearly yeah. click. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, the first model walks down. I'm like, have I made it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you there, girl. That's amazing. I love that. But it's so interesting to hear the other side of it from behind the scenes because now I've only been exposed to seeing everything come together. So I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm so happy that you were able to come on. Oh, thank you for having me. This oh my God, of course. So... Before we go, I would love to ask you one last question. What advice do you have for aspiring designers? For aspiring designers, my greatest advice would be to make sure that your brand stands for something. In this world of so much uncertainty, like we can't be creating work and just meaningless things that have no purpose behind it. We can't make another pretty dress out of you know synthetic materials like we have to have a purpose and if you're going to be using up the earth's uh, materials resources then make sure that you stand for something important and make sure that your work is saying something and make sure that it's meaningful and make sure that even visually um conceptually it's making some kind of statement to the world because, you know, we, we really can't be creating meaningless things anymore. I, I totally agree with you. So before we go officially, I always like to leave off with a gaze goal of the week. 
which mm-hmm. is just a realistic self-care goal for the upcoming week. So my episodes are released on Sundays and I feel like it's a great and positive way to kick it off with setting a realistic and attainable self-care goal. I'm curious what yours is. Okay. Uh, my goals are to create one look for an Instagram post and to finish a book I started on systematic racism. Yes, I love that. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining me. Thank you so much. And of course, thank all of you girl gazers for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Leave a five-star written review if you haven't already. And make sure to follow along at Girl Gaze Pod. See you guys next Sunday.